opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Doug Powell. I'm the president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, and you've tuned in to the, um, the session on emergency preparedness. And uh, I just want to let you know that we're trying something different. We used to run these on a webinar. And now we decided that since uh, Sandy Troiano, her Tuesday calls about um, losing sight and you know dealing with that on Tuesdays um, was running on this kind of a format. Um, and we decided to use the, this format so we could use the same meeting number and passcode for, um, for all of our AAVL um, uh, community calls. So um, please, if you're not a facilitator or a presenter for today's program, at this point, would you please make sure that you are muted so that we don't have any outside noise and that kind of thing. And uh, with that, I will turn it over to uh, Danette Dixon and Larry Johnson, who are All our right. facilitators for today. Thank you, Doug. Okay, so we have Belinda hosting. And if you're not, as Doug said, if you're not speaking and you are unmuted, she will mute you because that's what I asked her to do. And we have Brad in Clubhouse. So Larry's gonna in introduce this a little bit and then Larry and I will be asking the, the speaker's questions. So go ahead, Larry. All right, thank you very much. And uh, this is a really important topic. We've heard a lot of people say they were anticipating it with great interest. And we're pleased that we have some really outstanding panelists who are gonna share their experience and their knowledge. And I'm going to ask uh, Danette to first introduce our panelists and then I'll do a brief intro and okay. then we'll move on to our questions. So would you do that, Danette? Yes, our first speaker would be Lori Scharf and give a one to two minute little introduction about what, what you have done in emergency preparedness, please. Thank you, everybody. Uh, my name is Lori Scharf and for 17 years, I worked at a nonprofit which had uh, programs for individuals with all different types of disabilities. And we were responsible for special needs sheltering, um, as well as sheltering of our own clients in emergency situations. Um, we went through um, Sandy, Irene, Lee, storms that people may be very familiar with, um, as well as other areas. And I've also, I am totally blind myself and a guide dog user, and I've done training of emer uh, community emergency response teams um, for post-disaster work with people who are blind or low vision or deafblind in the community. And that's pretty much it. All right. So thank you, Lori. Next, we'll hear from Annie Chiapetta. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm Annie Chapetta. I'm from New Rochelle, New York. 
quickly, I spent the last seven years uh, serving on the board of my county for the um, Disability Access and Funct Functional Needs Committee, big word, um, for the DAFN for our county um, on behalf of uh, guide dog users and people who are blind or visually impaired. I have um, volunteered at uh, sheltering practices. I have also volunteered to train first responders um, about how to handle service animals in a sheltering situation uh, and also um, how to interact with a blind or visually impaired person or person with um, other disabilities in a sheltering situation. Um, thank you. All right, thank you, Annie. Next, we'll hear from Jeff Tom. Good morning or afternoon, wherever you may be. Uh, I am Jeff Tom. I live in Sacramento, California. Um, for a long time, um, as part of the California Council of the Blind, I did, you know, small things with respect to the, you know, program for emergency preparedness. I was active on an occasional bill or two in the legislature, and I would do some, you know, uh, small committee uh, investments of time. But recently, I've been very involved in um, first in the emergency warning um, phase of disaster preparedness. And most recently, I've become very involved in, as a consultant for the state of California on county plans throughout the state. And I have seen plans that range from pretty good to pretty horrible. And we have to, on behalf of people with all types of disabilities, and of course, my expertise is in blindness, we have to critique these plans so that we can uh, try to develop better, better practices among all the counties. Perfect. So thank Jeff. you. And now we'll hear from Terry Suarez from Florida. Good afternoon, everybody from not so sunny Florida. <laughs> My name is Terry Suarez. I have been involved with emergency preparedness since 1992. Um, when Hurricane Andrew hit, I was only three years in my profession as a healthcare provider, which I'm still currently licensed. And I got tapped on the shoulder by my hospital to get on a bus and go down to Homestead, Florida. When we got down there, it looked like a nuclear bomb hit. All the buildings were demolished. They looked like toothpicks as well as half of the hospital was gone. And that's where I learned about the CERT process through FEMA, which started in L.A. in 1985. So I'm excited that Lori knows about the CERT program um, through FEMA because it's very important that we get involved. And I'm excited to be here to share that over 32 years of being a licensed healthcare provider, 46 with sight and five without sight. I am still a licensed healthcare provider and still very involved with my emergency EOC center, which is emergency operations center. And I'm looking forward to participating with this very knowledgeable team. And hopefully you guys get your pens ready because we're gonna go through the 
three-digit list, the two one ones, the three one ones, the four one ones, all those great numbers to know before, during, and after an emergency. So thank you. Back to you, Danette. Okay, Larry, do you want to introduce it? Obviously, there are many types of emergencies. Some are environmental, like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, snow and ice storms, and others are more man-made or caused by man. Fires, explosions, hazardous chemical spills, train derailments, riots, mass shootings, and so forth. And depending on where you live, will determine in part what type of emergency you are most likely to experience. So first, we're going to talk about alert and notification. So the first question to ask the panelists, and we'll start with Lori, is how will you find out about an emergency in your community? Lori, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I accidentally muted myself. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so my first, your first line of defense is always going to be your local emergency management. So it may be if you're in a city, it might be on the city level, it may be a county if you're, um, it really depends on what state you're in and how they handle things. Each, um, each jurisdiction will all the way up to your state level will have ways that you can be notified some examples might be that you might hear something like smart 911 which is a system that you can register with um, <clears throat> to receive notifications and um, check with your local office of emergency management and american red cross those types of organizations they're going to be able to connect you to what apps are used within your area and that's that that's right. what i would say on that topic cool and do you have anything to add uh yeah uh on a in a very very um micro level um uh, I live in New Rochelle, New York, which is Westchester County. Westchester County has a pretty robust um, EOC, and uh, the state, New York State, has a uh, NY alert system um, that you can uh, go online and register, and you can have text and uh, mail messages sent to you in uh, all kinds of types of um, alerts, um, from weather alerts to um, um, to water uh, alerts, whatever, allergies, things like that. So um, depending on your state and what your state offers, um, you know, uh, on, for me, um, whenever I get alerts, uh, for instance, we've been having a lot of flooding issues where mm -hmm. I live. Um, those alerts are always done first primarily on text, and I value that very much because um, they've been accurate and uh, they've come and uh, given us some warnings to help protect ourselves. So, thank you. And this I is Lori. I'm sorry, I guess, Danette, part of what we want to probe is, have, have any of you had any problems in learning about an emergency in your area? So, what are the, 
you know, what are some of the failures of the emergency alert system as far as blind folks are concerned? Jeff or Terry? Well, part of the problem is that, and Lori alluded to it, is that all localities and states are a little different. There are certain things you can do on a national level. You can get, for example, uh, involved in, in getting NOAA radio alerts. You can get certain things through the FEMA app, which is really a pretty good app to have on your phone. Um, it's got a lot of information. But when it comes to getting a lot of the real local information, you need to find, especially for those who don't have smartphones, you need to find out, does your locality have a, you know, sort of smart 911 um, line or exchange that you can become part of? Some places do and some places don't. And if you don't, you're that you're that's the, the red flag for you to begin to advocate at your local level. Um, and, and that, and, and when I say that, it's going to be true throughout the course of this, um, discussion because, you know, they might have a methodology for you to find out about a notification, but they may not have an, a methodology to find out how to get you evacuated as we come to the next, you know, prong of the, um, you know, of this discussion. So you really need to, to do your local research um uh, you know when you're a blind person and, and especially if you're a you know transit dependent person so that's my live, pitch if you live and work this is what i was going to say before jeff thank you if you live and work in different locations different towns different counties it is important to sign up for notifications in both locations um because I found myself in an in in a lockdown at work one day. <laughs> so uh yeah, it happens. Cool. Um Terry, do you have anything to add? I do. I thank you very much for everybody and I feel perfect to round up this question. The numbers you need to remember is three digit numbers. 211 is going to give you human services no matter where you are in the United States, for United Way, for anything like that. The next number that is so important is 311. 311 is gonna contact you to your regional government EOC um, processing. So just like Lori said, you wanna call 311 from your home, you wanna call 311 from your work, you wanna call 311 from any family member's house that you spend a lot of time with and get registered. Some areas, believe it or not, Lori, still don't have smart 911. Oh, yes, I know that. Which is, <laughs> it's so sad. Yes. It's so sad. And why smart 11 is so important is it has what's called reverse 911. So they call you and say there's a hurricane or tornado warning or and they can call you through your cell phone they can call you through your landline they can call you through any devices that is registered but the most important thing is we all have to remember we have to be an advocate for ourselves so the first two numbers i want you guys to remember is 211 you can call them and that's your human resources in the area of the region that you dial 211 
The Carrie, second that's number. So Im- yeah, yeah, that's so important that you bring it up the, the call because very often the uh, notification alerts that we receive on our phones don't give a lot of information. They may simply say flood warning or they may say hurricane warning, but you don't know, does that mean I have to evacuate? Does that mean I can stay? What does it mean? And so what you're saying is, once you get the tip that something is going on, you need to take action and call one of those numbers or maybe all of them and find out more details because you're not gonna get it on just a text message. So very much, and what's really important is to, before the emergency, prior to, this is your prep work, is to register with 311 and 211. And don't forget your Echo devices, they can assist as well. Thank you. So in order to find out if you do have smart 911, what I did was I called like the local fire department just called 911 and i said this is not an emergency but i would like to register and tell people that live people someone that lives in this apartment is blind and has a guide dog and they referred me transferred me to somebody near my area and they're willing to come out and help me i haven't done it yet to fill out the form for smart 911 on my phone so that's and a it, way. Danette, thank you so much for sharing that. It's always, you can always call 911, but just remember that is truly for active emergencies. So that's why I hope to educate everyone that if you want to reach them non-emergency, no matter where you are in the United States, please use 311. Um, because that's still recorded line, but it is not occupying if someone is having a heart attack or stroke or having a baby. So um, any medical uh, ambulance, fire, or emergency, please dial 911. Otherwise, please try to remember the other numbers, because even though it may seem like it's one minute, it's one minute that 911 dispatcher is working with you that is occupying the time of shooting or um, some other emergency call. So remember, 211 for human resources. So you can call them most anytime and connect you to United Way, your um, Red Cross. And did you know that ACB and the other blind association is listed with 211? And 311 will take you to your regional government and that is the best one to call when it's non-emergency thank you thank you so we spent a lot of time on this first question so we need to pretty much move forward one thing i do want to say bill can you tell me when it's a quarter to the top of the hour so that we can have time for questions too yeah i think we can combine the next two questions jeanette and and it is okay so first of all How do you decide if you can stay or you should leave? And if you have to leave, how do you get to where you need to get to go to? Well, this is why everybody's here today, because you're taking the first step in making a decision and making your plans. Your If you're going to stay and if you're going to go is going to depend on what your local emergency management or emergency services tell you. 
Um, shelter in place is definitely possible. Uh, when I got stuck at work, because we had a gentleman walking around the neighborhood with several weapons um, and was making threats, I had to shelter in place. I didn't have a choice. The building went into lockdown. I would check out FEMA's website, which is ready.gov, R-E-A-D as in dog, Y.gov. They have really good resources, videos, things for people specific with special needs, forms that you can fill out if you want to have all your information in one place, um, you know, and stay or go again some of that's going to depend on planning and and what your options are hurricane sandy we started evacuating the barrier islands on long island the friday before the hurricane hit so that was three to four days in advance if you're told you're in an evacuation zone and you choose not to go first responders are not going to come in and risk their lives because you chose to stay so you can't only think about yourself. You have to understand, and being here today is part of understanding, that there may come a point where they can't come and get you. And are you able to manage independently without any other supports? So here's the question I think you need to ask yourself. If I need to evacuate, and I'm not going to expand on th that decision. I think Lori did a pretty good job of it. If I need to evacuate, do I know how I am going to get evacuated to my local shelter? If the answer is yes, that's great. Now, the answer might be that you have a uh, sighted person who's you know, in your safety net that's going to come and take care of that. But you better make sure that that person is equipped and able and doesn't have conflicting obligations, et cetera, et cetera, to do that. If the answer is that uh, you are going to do it through your county, whether it's through paratransit or whatever, you'd better make sure that the way the jurisdictions run their evacuation plans are relatively certain to get you. I don't know how I'd be evacuated right now. My, I, I've looked at, and California is in many ways the bellwether of um, emergency operations planning because we have so many, yes. you know, disasters to prepare for. Our evacuation plans suck. I hate to say it. And I'm sorry, I almost broke a rule, but um, they are really bad. And if they're bad in California, they're going to probably be bad in your state. So you, this is where advocacy is so important. You need to know the details of who is going to get, if you're a transit dependent person, you need to know the details of how it's going to work, who you're supposed to contact, who's going to contact you, whether they're going to come door to door, whether you need to get you know, to wherever you need to go. And there need to be drills. So I, I talked far too long on this, but this, in my opinion, it may be the weakest link of the entire process. If I could just briefly add to that, that sometimes municipalities don't see people who has blind or low vision needing transportation. They think of people that might have medical equipment that's bulky or needs electrical power. Um, 
as needing transportation. We had a situation on Long Island where a family where both parents were blind needed transportation to a community shelter, and they were told by Office of Emergency Management, sorry, (laughs) you you know, you got to get yourself there. And it wound up the shelter was only a mile away and there was enough time and they were able to walk with their two children. But these are things you need to think of and plan for and understand what does your local government have in plan for you? So this is Terry. Um, Just to add on what everyone has spoken on, it is so important that you be your self-advocate. And now is the time to find out how to get somewhere. So another important number is to know is 511. 511 will give you all the transportation, um, your highway patrolman, your police department, and transportation evaluation for your region when you call 511. So that's another number. So 211 human resources, 311, your government office, which is the best to go from the area that you're calling from. So remember, like Lori mentioned, her work and home are in two different regions. Then you have 511. 511 is transportation and traffic. So those are three important numbers to keep going. And don't worry, we have more to come. But But, it's so important. Oh, sorry. So what's so important to remember is that being prepared, it's okay to call these numbers. Please calling 911 is 24-7 emergency recorded for ambulance, fire, and police. And we, even though the dispatchers, depending on where you live, I'm in Claremont, Florida, which is only 25 minutes away from Walt Disney World, um, calling 911, um, you know, they would appreciate if you would use these other resources. And there was a question. Yes, sir. Yeah, Terry, my concern with 511 is that historically anyway, and maybe it's different in Florida, they don't really know how the emergency operations planning is going to occur in terms of the actual operationalization of it. Far too often, these plans are at such a high level that it would really get when it really gets down to how you or me are going to get up out of our place and over to a shelter. Those guys at, at, at that level aren't going to know a thing. That, that's so, my concern. I'm not sure how long ago you've interacted with 511. Um, there is always opportunities of improvement. We're always modifying. I mean, I cannot tell you how far the CERT program has come since 1985. Um, I can tell you what happened with Hurricane Andrew and Katrina and all those big ones that I've been involved in, including the fires that happened at that disco and then the shooting in Las Vegas, Um, you know, the big ones. Um, But I will tell you, 311 before an emergency is the best to go and find out because that's going to be your regional government office because the EOC office, the Emergency Operations Center, is activated when there is emergency arriving or have arrived. And you want to have your plan before. And the best gift you can give anybody for their birthday, for Christmas, for Valentine's Day is a whistle. Um, A whistle is such an important device to have because if anything happens, and I don't know if everyone ever watched Titanic, um, but a whistle, if you, um, 
you know, because tornadoes are hard to alert. There are alert systems, but maybe not on time. Um, collapsing of, um, oh, let's talk about California, the collapsing uh, in 1996, where all the cars got smashed between the two um, layers of that highway. Um, someone was found because he had his, he was a uh, volunteer ref for soccer and he found his whistle and he kept blowing it till help came. So the best thing you can have is a whistle. Okay. Um, Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Let's move on and talk about something. If you are leaving your present residence or work or wherever it is, and you're going somewhere, maybe to a shelter, maybe to a friend's house, maybe, you know, to a neighbor's, whatever. One of the questions that people want to know is, what do I need to take? What shall I take with me? Mm -hmm. Very basic. Because um, the time can consist on this, let's just have like a couple people answer. Go ahead, Lori. Very basic. What you can carry in a backpack is what I tell people because in shelter outside of your home, unless it's it's being required, should always be your last resort. It's a communal environment and sometimes your area is the size of your of a twin bed indicated on the floor by strips of tape. So think small. You don't want to bring every single necessity for your personal pleasure. Um, you know, they will have food for you. They will have water for you. Um, you want to bring your medicines. You want to bring, if you have a service animal, you want to bring what's essential for your service animal. You also need to understand that in a sheltering situation, once the winds go over, I can't remember if it's 40 or 45 miles an hour. 40. They're not allowed. Uh, thank you. I thought so, but I didn't want to. <laughs> you yeah. can't you can't open the doors. So nobody will be allowed into or out of the shelter. So if you have a service animal, you're not going to be allowed to take your service animal out. So that is something to be aware of. Um, you know, they're not telling you that to be mean. They're telling you that for safety reasons, because if the wind pulled that door off, you're jeopardizing the whole shelter then. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very minimal, whatever you can carry on your back. I want to bring me, Lori, I want to bring Lori oh, into the conversation because I think Lori, you've had some that experience was Lori. with uh oh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, I, I, I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, okay. anyone can jump into this. One of the things that I think is important now, since you brought it up, is the shelter. And that these can vary considerably. And uh, the amount of accommodations can vary considerably. So what is it important for you to know and for them to understand about your needs? So whoever is had shelter experience, please talk to that point. Hi, this is Terry. Um, I have shelter experiences in two ways. Um, one, as a healthcare provider assisting in shelters. And the most important thing is everything, Lori, we're not going on a vacation trip. You're going on a, a survival. So simple is best, but do not forget your prescriptions. And it's very important to remember, even if you're only have bring bring all your bring your bottles that have your scripts on it because there is when we do for eos for emergency 
operations centers, we do tabletop drills. What that means is we bring everyone to the table and we practice what we're going to do. And Walgreens, Public, all the pharmaceutical companies, there are situations that we have to have access to medications. But if we don't have a script, they won't be able to help you. So please, 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 everything that Lori said, plus your scripts, even if it's a PRN Xanax or whatever, make sure you grab the bottle with the script on it so we can help you at the center. This is Annie. And even um, if it only has two pills left, bring correct. it because yeah. they can fill it is what Terry's telling you. Yes, because the script has all the information that they can do. And there's emergency planning that we have practice yep. at the table to make sure that you are not without your medications. Because the last thing you want to be is a diabetic like myself or a heart patient, anything like that without your prescriptions. Okay, thank you, Terry. Go ahead, Annie. Yes. Uh, so if you have a service animal that has prescription food needs or medications, that is equally important. And yes. um, yeah, so and if you if you can um, obtain um, some type of official prescription um, paperwork for, you know, and, and stash it into your go bag for your animal, that's really important. I was in a sheltering drill and I posed this to one of my um, sheltering processors and they looked at me like your dog has special needs like <laughs> I, I totally threw them for a little like yeah I, can, I he has special food for his stomach you've got it and they had to go scrambling around to figure out how to get it for me at and so that's what I learned from that so let thank, me just take thank 30 you for seconds sharing that oh, sure. oh, go ahead sir um, Jeff, go ahead one of the things you can do ahead of time and this is really important but it takes some work um, many of the shelters, maybe most, but many are Red Cross and others are private and others are public. They are all supposed to be uh, compliant with the ADA and supposed to be checked for compliance with the ADA. Frequently, uh, municipalities, counties, et cetera, don't do it. And they aren't, they could be years away from being in compliance. So it's your responsibility to look locally and determine whether they have been checked for compliance, determine whether they have made arrangements, for example, to get things read to you or put things in accessible formats, things like that, that you need to become aware of that you may not know. Uh, the, the whole host of issues you need to check ahead of time because once you're there, it's going to be frequently really late. Let me follow up with you, Jeff. Uh, that's really one of the really important points. So, so what can you do in advance to educate volunteers and first responders to better assist people with vision loss in an emergency? What can we do? This is Get Terry. In get involved in the planning exercises call and get involved at the table discussions call and say i want to help improve and be aware of our needs it is so important as being part of the emergency system for 32 years you don't know what you don't know and for the last five years dealing with my site status change from 2020 to not so much 2200 um it they're shocked they are so shocked 
and they see their opportunities of improvement, but they don't know what they are. So it's time to be a self-advocate and just reach out to 311 and get involved in your region. And that's what I recommend. Get involved you. for you. Okay. Was that Annie or was that Lori? That was Terry. Oh, no, yes, I know that was Terry. Before Terry spoke, was that Annie <laughs> or was it Lori? It was Lori. I was just okay. going to say that um, it it is important to get involved um, also in helping yourself to prepare. Um, when I was in New York, our local... Yeah. A council chapter had somebody from Lutheran Disaster Relief come and he brought us very nice go bags, which a go bag is is basically what you can carry on your back. And it has things like thick gloves and, and things like that. But make your connections now. Yeah. Um, it, and everything from your local first aid department, fire department, all the way up to your state Um Office of Emergency Management. Can I, can I jump in here? This is Doug. Um, <laughs> my question is, are there important documents beyond your ID card, oh, you know, your yes. state ID card? Are there important documents that you ought to make sure that yes. you have when you go into that kind of a situation? Yes. Uh, homeowner's insurance, which now a lot of times you don't need your... <laughs> Your hard, I go back long enough. I remember hard copies only. So, um, but also for uh, people who are Braille or large print users, have your bank account numbers written on. I recommend hard plastic index cards. Um, you can get them at stationery stores. They will not disappear text-wise if they get wet with water. Both Braille and the print will stay if you write in a permanent marker. That way you'll have your credit card numbers, your insurance accounts, your all those types of numbers, um, your social security card, birth certificates. Um, the ready.gov website that I gave earlier has a listing of essential documents, and you should keep those purchase a, a case or bag or of some type that's waterproof, not water resistant. Um, they actually make some that actually can float if you're in a flood prone area. I have a plastic case that will float if it if it comes in contact with water, um, you know, things like that. So it's, it's all about preparing early. And just to add to that fireproof, there are fireproof water yes. resistant and stuff like that. And yes, Lori, excellent. Time to get ready is now when there's no emergency. Okay. I don't know if uh, those of you who are on the panel have uh, in your particular areas uh, simulation exercises periodically carried out by the Office of Emergency Management. If you do, this is a great opportunity to volunteer to be a participant in a simulation exercise. I've done it twice. I've been a victim of an air crash, and I was also a victim of something else. I forgot what. But this is a great way to train volunteers yeah. when they actually have to deal with people with disabilities. For sure. This is and one of the things that I reached out to American Council of the Blind is every time we have a national convention to do a cert drill um, because it could be a, a bombing at a hotel. It could be um, 
all the ones that I've done, I've done at least two every year. Um, but I stopped when I lost my sight, but not my vision for life. And looking back now, um, for the last two years, I've asked American Council of the Blind if we can contact CERT which is FEMA, it wouldn't cost us anything, but our time to educate the healthcare providers in that community, because CERT stands for Community Emergency Response Team. Um, you have to be a healthcare, there's different roles that you can do. And I just think that would be a great thing to do at our national convention every year. And there is plenty of grant money out there Thank um, from you. FEMA and mm-hmm. other places to, yep. to do those sort of things. In fact, the, the organization, uh, my our local provider in Sacramento on whose board I serve got grant money to do just that, primarily for blind people. And so we do I have wanted, a drill for that. Go ahead, yeah. Lori. I wanted to, when we were in New York back in 2019, I wanted to do a drill of an evacuation of an airplane. And Ooh. fortunately, ACB was not up for it. Um, but I had access to a flight attendant with almost 40 years of experience that was willing to organize it. So I think as members, maybe it's something we should get our voices heard. Fill out those convention surveys. Yes. All righty. So it is about quarter yes, tell. Yes, it's a quarter two. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. And and questions. Do you, does anybody to reach raise your hand? There's one more topic Press that, that we need to, to touch on. That is neighbors and friends. What role should neighbors and friends play? And how can you ensure that they will be there for you? I think it go- this is Terry. It goes back to just communicating and letting your neighbors and friends know what your needs are. So press the have your own little table discussion preparedness with your neighbors. I always tell people have at least three people you know you can rely on, um, that they're going to not tell you at the last minute, no, my dog means more to me than you. Sorry, there's no room in the car. So really have a plan of three or more people that you know you can rely on. And that might be a neighbor and that might be somebody from work and it might be somebody from church and it may be somebody really that you can't stand. But in an emergency, y'all love each other. (laughs) And Lori, just to add on that, one person, one contact should be an out of state or out of the zone. We learned that with the bombings and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And Facebook has a wonderful check-in process as well. Mm -hmm. Another reason to be on that social media. um, I don't know what the Macedon and others have, but Facebook has a great, when there was the shooting in Vegas and the bombing in England, um, you know, it was throw in the check-in and that was great. All right. I would like to get Ask for the audience for questions now. If Press I the MD plus tilde to reach so pop up and lower hand. hand. Press for, the MD plus tilde to reach pop up and lower hand. Press the MD plus tilde to reach pop up and lower hand. And we're actually going to start in Clubhouse because I see Brad has his hand raised. Uh huh. Yes, we have Justin on stage. Justin, I believe you're unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, um, so my question was going back on documents like uh, prescriptions. So I used to live in the middle of the national forest. And I can remember at least one time where um, we were stopped from going back to the house because of a forest fire. So when you can't get to your prescriptions, is there an app or a way to have your prescriptions on your phone or 
on an uploaded document to still have access to your prescriptions that is recognized by the people who can help you get your prescriptions. Lori, do you want to get that? Or do you want um, me to get it? I have you an app. can answer it. Okay. So Script Talk is an app that is um, very accessible and you can quickly do a quick scan and develop your prescriptions on your phone. But just remember, your phone has a battery life. And if you don't have solar batteries or whatever, you may lose that. So Lori's recommendation of getting cards that are laminated and all that yummy stuff, that is fantastic. But Script Talk is not only a um, uh, capability of reading labels, Braille, but it also has a capability of holding your prescriptions on your mobile devices. And I, if I could just add to that, carry a list of medications with you it's also good not only to have in an emergency situation but also if something happens to you when you go to the emergency room they'll find it on your person yeah i have my list tucked in with my um you know the card they're always looking for your insurance card and id so i have three things that are paper clipped together my florida id my um Blue, Florida Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance and my list of medication. This and is Annie. Um, I have I have a, a document like what you guys are saying, but I have it um, stored up in the cloud. So if I if like my phone died, uh, but there was a computer at the shelter, um, I could still you know with assistance or you know on my own whatever, um, I'd be able to get to that document. And it'll have all my medications listed and all that stuff. That's, That's if excellent. the cloud doesn't blow up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you can also put stuff like that in your emergency uh, information right. in your phone. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Michelle, next let's take is, the first hand. All right. Next is <clears throat> Debbie. Yes. Hi. I'd like to know if you can bring a CPAP machine to the shelter. Thank you. Um, yes. This is Terry. Um, as a licensed respiratory therapist, most definitely um, you can bring it. Just um, make sure you have um, an extension cord if possible. Um, even though we tell you do not use an extension cord in your home because how Lori described how the shelter situation is, um, you may fall under the special needs shelter in your area, but it's more important to call ahead and say, I'm a CPAP user, and they will direct you to which one, because um, those shelters are actually, if we have machines like that, mechanical ventilations and CPAP, you'll actually have a healthcare provider in that shelter. Okay. And this, this that is, is also... if your shelter has been certified for compliance with standards. Correct. And, and frequently right. they're not. Yeah. yeah. And, and the and, other and... thing to remember is to bring your sterile water. Distilled yes. water is preferred, but if not, you can use sterile water. And there is a little variance. But do not use tap water. Please do Ooh, not no. use tap water in your CPAP machines because there's actually acceptable bacteria in your uh, tap water that's not acceptable in your lungs. Thank okay, you. I think Lori was trying to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, we haven't even touched this whole issue, but um, in some areas, 
it is is not required by law, but in some areas you can register and they will classify you as special needs shelter eligible or not. Um, and that type of a CPAP machine, you would definitely want to note that on that type of paperwork. All right, thank you. Next hand, please. Connie. Hey, Connie. Hi, thank you so much for this call. It's so important. So I am a widow. I live alone. I don't have family nearby. And after what you said, I'm going to have a dialogue with the two neighbors. I know they're elderly too. They have their own families, uh, but I'm going to have a talk with them and also a talk with my uh, church family. Mm -hmm. What else would you suggest for someone who lives alone if I have to evacuate or, you know, if an emergency does come up? This Since you're scary. in my county, Connie, lobby with paratransit and make sure they start getting a program where they'll pick us all up. Um, <laughs> the other thing is um, I want to recommend that you are doing great proactiveness, but there's also very important to communicate with your neighbors and your team um, that you have either a green piece of paper or a red piece of paper that you put somewhere on your window, on the front of the house, so that they know if you're if you made it out or if you're there. So, um, you know, just a plain green piece of paper means um, I'm good. Um, this helps with the prepping for the emergency and the post-emergency. Um, if we see red on the door, then that means we need to spend time to go in and search for you. So having that form of communication with your neighbors and your communities where you live in, um, you know, just a piece of cardboard paper or construction paper or some kind of colored paper that you can tape to your door window or somewhere where they can see it. Green means good, red means bad. And that's great for pre and post disaster. Okay, and thank you. Connie, this is Lori. If I could just say you also may want to think about, are there other people that you would feel comfortable with maybe getting to know so that if you needed to help each other out, you could, um, you know, expanding beyond those two neighbors. Um, you know, it, it, it and, and it's even more important in these situations to know what, what does your county do in an emergency? Do, do they stop all paratransit rides 48 hours in advance and they work on finding out who in the community needs transportation some places that's what happens in some places okay. like sacramento it doesn't and that's <laughs> part of the problem yes <laughs> okay i will Thank share you. one i will share one short anecdote with you to let you know how important neighbors or extended family can be I live in a subdivision. We had a huge prairie fire behind my house. And supposedly the uh, folks came in and they announced through a bullhorn to everybody to evacuate. But I never heard an announcement. I was the only one in the subdivision who was not evacuated. And my daughter called me because she was watching on TV news about this huge fire behind my house. And she asked me, are you out of your house? I said, no, I'm not. Why? I'm listening to a football game on the radio. She <laughs> said, I will be there in 15 minutes. 
when she got to the gate of the subdivision, the police were there and said, you can't go in. We've evacuated everybody. She says, you didn't evacuate my father. And they said, really? And so they went in, she went in and got me and we came out. Fortunately, the wind changed and the fire blew the other way. Uh, following right. Christmas, the following Christmas, I made sure that I had Christmas baskets for all of my neighbors and a and a personalized <laughs> business card with my phone number. And I hmm. said, please don't forget me next time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we do have one more hand and then we need to wrap up. Oh, I, I, right. what, what Larry brought up was an, an interesting point, though. The question is, what, you know, how about hearing impairment? You know, people who are sight impaired and hearing impaired. How, you know, are there other, are there special conditions that they need to be uh, cognizant of and, and, you know, and, and in their, in their preparedness? They need to call 311 and make sure they are yes. registered, that they need to be um, well, uh, is it called wellness check, well check, one of those through the, through the police. The police have a list of those members in the community, and this is national, that need that little extra um, attention and assistance. All right. All right, we need to stop there and get to our one hand and then wrap up, please. Sorry. <laughs> All right, our last Linda? hand is Linda. Yeah. Linda, go ahead. I just have a hi. I just have one quick question. You guys alluded to the fact that we couldn't take dogs outside during uh, something. And so what kind of provisions should we advocate for for, our, for those of us that have guide dogs? Bring your pads. Bring your pee-pee pads and poo-poo pads because it's 40 mile per hour winds. And if you've never stood, and these are consistent. These are not wind right. gusts. An ambulance, the reason why is an ambulance and a fire truck will flip over at 40 miles per hour winds. And that's why wow. the safety of a human outside, I'm not talking like your your umbrella will inverse, um, you know, go inside out. I mean, you will be, you will be um, flown away. It's yeah. very unsafe, consistent. This is 40 mile per hour, consistent winds. Okay. It's very dangerous. Yep. Yes. Okay, thank you. That for elevated, it's the same reason that typically elevated rail service will stop when it's consistent wind gusts of 40 miles an hour or greater um, for the same type of reason. So this has been a great topic and much discussion and next August, we're planning, I have talked to, Pen well, emailed Penny Forward and possibly personal finances. So that's for our next topic. And Doug, you want to wrap it up? Two minutes to wrap it up. Thank you, everyone. It was, this was excellent. Uh, I really uh, think that it was, it was a valuable session for, for people to listen to now and also in the future. So thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, Brad. And anybody, oh, by the way, uh, AAVL is having their general membership meeting um, on this Saturday, uh, July 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so uh, uh, talk to a member if you know, if you know one uh, to find the Zoom information for, the, for that event.